in Psalms chapter 91. The psalmist writes, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways on their hands. They will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Again, Father, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We ask that as we open your word and look into it, God, that you would shine a light on it, um, that we would understand it rightly. God, that you would show us who you are and your character. God, that you would tell us something about ourselves uh, and and how we fall short of that, God, um, that you would point us towards Jesus Christ in these passages, and that in all things you would make us more like him. God, we cannot understand this rightly. We cannot apply it to our lives and hearts and minds rightly uh, without you working in us. And so, Father, we pray that you would do that. God, we pray that the Spirit would work mightily in our own hearts um, and shape us in the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray these things in his name. Amen. All right, so um, so this is a passage that I, I don't know if 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 uh, you have the same kind of circles and Facebook friends and blogs and things like that that you read, but when the whole COVID uh, thing started up, you know, back in in, in March and, and April and stuff, I saw this passage kind of trotted out a lot. Okay, this psalm was getting a lot of airtime or whatever, right? And people were posting pieces of it um, and, and, and referencing it and talking about it and stuff like that. And you can probably see why as we read it, right? Because it's a passage that talks about God protecting us from things that are out there in the world. Um, there's a line at the beginning of this passage where it says, uh, he will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, for some of you, that phrase um, maybe maybe rings a bell in your head. It was actually the title of a book by a lady named Elizabeth Elliot. And Elizabeth Elliot um, was the wife of Jim Elliot. And Jim, along with his uh, four friends, Ed McCulley, Roger Guderian, Pete Fleming, and Nate Saint, um, were five men who uh, went to uh, Ecuador in the 1950s. 
um, to minister and evangelize a, a tribe of, um, uh, people there in the Amazon rainforest area, uh, who had never heard of Jesus Christ and very early into their mission, um, they were speared to death by that tribe on, on a beach there along, um, the river in Ecuador. And so Elizabeth Elliot wrote a book, uh, sort of telling her husband's story and the story of these, these young men. And, and I, I would recommend it to you. It's an incredible story of, of the way God's grace worked as, as the, the wives and families of these men continued, went back and continued to minister to this tribe. And eventually, um, many of the tribe, um, were brought to Jesus Christ in a, in a cycle of violence that had lasted generations in that, in that, uh, tribe and culture, um, ended. Um, but what's interesting, and the reason why I'm referencing that specifically is because of the title. The shadow of the Almighty. Because here's what's interesting. We read this story about peace, about God protecting us from danger, right? And then she tells the story about how her husband and these men went to serve Christ and were killed for it in the process, okay? And so what we, what we notice is this. When we read the scriptures, there is a tension, right? There is a tension in the scriptures between the idea of safety and sacrifice of a God who is going to watch out for us physically. And then at the same time, recognizing that sometimes God requires of us our very lives. Okay. And so we'll kind of come back to the idea of that title that she gave that book at the very end. Um, but I want to first look at this passage. Okay. Because I think this passage primarily focuses on that safety side, right? It is a passage talking about the idea that in times of danger, that God will watch over us, and that God will protect us from all kinds of things, okay? So again, it starts out, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty, right? One of the most poetic psalms, I think, in, in all of the uh, of the um, the book of Psalms, right? It has a, it has a there, there's a beauty of the language in this, in this passage that is um, incredible, even for uh, the book of Psalms, which has a lot, right? Verse two, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Okay. So, so for this person who dwells in the shelter, right? Um, who makes their home in the safety of the presence and of the will of God, right? That person whose shelter is the most high, it then says they will abide, right? They will rest. They will domicile. In God's shadow, his overshadowing presence, right? So this imagery, as I read those passages, it made me, two things immediately popped into my head. One may be more obvious and one may be less obvious. The first one of the two things is the imagery of the way my son hides in my shadow sometimes, right? And the idea that maybe like when we're standing having conversation between adults and, you know, probably just like your kids, the another adult who maybe my son doesn't know starts talking to him and says, you know, asks him questions or whatever. And the response is almost the same every single time is, is James will kind of step back. And he will step into me, right? He'll just sort of like lean up against me, or whatever. Oftentimes he's conversant. He talks. He'll, he'll answer the questions to the best of his ability or whatever. But there's something there, this idea that, that he goes, 
I don't know what's going on here. I'm a little uncomfortable. And you know what I want to do? I want to step back into my father's shadow, literally, to where I'm there standing above him in, in protection and safety. And he knows that, hey, whatever happens right here, my dad is behind me and, and, and I feel um, at safe and at peace, right? That's that first picture that came into my mind. But there's something else going on there too that, and again, I, this, this may be taking you a little far, but as some of y'all know, I grew up in Mobile and we get a lot of hurricanes in Mobile, right? And so I have had several times in my life where I have literally gotten to experience, um, being in the eye of the storm right? Being in the eye of a hurricane, right? And so you, you, you've seen news footage, right? A hurricane, there's these, these hundreds of miles long um, weather fronts and they're spinning. And yet almost every single time, right in the center, there's a calm spot. And I've, I've been in that calm spot. Storms have come right over the top of Mobile before. And, you know, one minute the, the wind's outside and the rain and it's, and it's dark and thunder and lightning or whatever. And then all of a sudden the eye of the storm comes over. And even though you know that just a few miles that way and a few miles that way, that the wind and the rain and the, and the lightning is still going on in that center, in that middle of that eye of that storm, there's complete peace, right? The winds die down and the rain disappears. And sometimes you can even see the sun poking through in that center. And I think about that picture here, right? This person who is in a time of, of difficulty, right? Um, and yet, because they trust in God, they abide in his shadow. They stand in his presence to an extent where even though the storm is raging around them, they feel at peace, right? So in, in um, we, we see in, in verse 2, right, the psalmist says, God is his refuge and his fortress, right? Those are, those are, there are, there are necessary places and times where difficulty and trials happen, right? Um, he's, he's not talking about a situation of, of a life of ease or of comfort. Um, but in those times of trial, as we rest in God for our safety and our protection, we trust in him in all things, right? I think we enter into that eye of the storm and we realize that in that place, nothing can happen to us that is not outside of God's control, right? Nothing outside of God's control can happen to us. Whatever happens, we are in the midst of his will, and there is safety in the center of that will. And that's the sentiment of this passage, I think. First, there's, there is no danger too terrible that God is not capable of overpowering or having power over, okay? So notice what it says in verse 3. There's no danger too terrible. It says, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. What's a fowler? We don't use that word very much anymore, right? A fowler is somebody who hunts birds, right? Hunts wild birds. He sets traps for them. There are forces in this world, both in the world and spiritual realms, that want your destruction, and they are conniving, right? They are looking to mess you up and to catch you. They have set traps for you in the world. But there is also, he references, this, this pestilence, right? Um, a disease that kind of flits about unseen. Like you don't know what the disease, like COVID, right? Like you'll, you'll, you'll hear about somebody catching it and then they'll say, man, I don't even know where I got it from. Like I don't know how I wasn't, I don't feel like I was around somebody or anything. Where did it come from? Something that attacks you unseen haphazardly, right? So there's a picture there for us of different kinds of danger, the, the premeditated danger, the intentional danger that you were put in by other forces, and the random aspects of danger, the things that just happen to us in our lives. Verse 5 says, you will not fear the night of terror. 
And then it, it, it sort of reiterates that in verse 6, the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. Like, what's the picture there? It's talking about the idea of the fear of the unknown, right? Things out there in the darkness, things out there that we don't know what they are and, 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 and what are coming. If we're honest, probably most of us, the things we fear most are the things that are unknown, right? The things that we're, we're never going to see coming. And yet God says, you don't need to fear those things. For the person who is in my will, you don't need to fear those things. Moreover, again, in verse 5 and 6, you don't have to fear the arrow that flies by day, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday, okay? What's the picture there? Again, things that you see coming, okay? Imagine a picture of, of being in, in a battle um, in, in medieval times or whatever and having arrows shot at you. Probably most of y'all have seen movies like Braveheart or, or something like that where these volleys of arrows would be fired and, you know, they come up and they just blot out the sun almost as they rain down on the opposing army, right? You know it's coming, right? You see these things coming at you, but God says you don't have to fear the arrows that fly by day nor the destruction that wastes at noonday, the things that happen in broad daylight. You don't have to be worried about those things. So whether they're premeditated intentional or random, whether they're seen or hidden, God is faithful, right? God is watching over his people as they rest in him. And so in verse four, what does it say? He says, he gives an, an illustration of his, his own protection. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wing, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler, right? So comparing God to a mother hen uh, would almost seem blasphemous, I think, right? Like if you, if I were just to do that on my own and say, yeah, well, God's kind of like a mother hen, you know, um, you would think that was weird. But the fact is, is that it's here in his own word, right? And there's something endearing to that picture, this kind and gentle concern of a mother using her own wings to, to nestle in and protect her chicks, right? To shield them from danger. And that's exactly what God is. He is a shield, right? The shield is critical. Again, in that ancient warfare, man, if you were standing on a battle line and that rain of arrows was coming in and you didn't have a shield, then you were probably in a lot of trouble, right? You couldn't, as, as hundreds and thousands of, of deadly arrows start falling down, um, you couldn't dodge them, right? It'd be like trying to dodge raindrops, trying to run through a rainstorm and dodge raindrops. You, you can't do it, but... If you have a shield or or what's called a buckler, a buckler is another word we don't use, but it's like a little smaller shield that you wear on your arm. If you have a shield, you can crouch down and you can put that shield over your head. And as the arrows rain down, you're protected underneath that canopy. God is that shield for us, right? And no attack is beyond God's scope to protect us. Okay? So no danger is too terrible to protect us, uh, to, for God to, to not protect us against, okay? But moreover, the passage says, there are no odds that are too great for him to protect us. So look at verse 7. Man, we think about issues like this all the time. We think about the numbers. We think about the statistics. That's one of the things that is so difficult about the coronavirus stuff, is it feels like the information we have is so in some cases, contradictory, and one day you'll hear this thing, and one day you'll hear this. You'll hear part of a statistic, but not other parts of the statistic, and there's just these numbers and all these things, and we're not sure what to think about specific situations in specific areas sometimes. 
But look what he says in verse seven. He says, a thousand may fall at your side. Still thinking probably of the, of the military reference, but also of, of something like a pandemic, something like a plague. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Okay, so so again, adding all these things together, right? recognizing the tension in scripture between these ideas of safety and, and sacrifice. But what we're seeing here is that the type and the severity of danger is not an issue for God, right? And neither are the odds. Even when you're the one in a hundred who is alive, the, the picture is, right? A hundred die at your side, a thousand die at this side, and yet God watches over his people and protects them. No matter how pervasive or total the threat, God is sovereign over both the odds and the outcome of these things. Now, here's an interesting place in the passage, okay? Because when you hear that kind of language, right, if your heart is already of a certain or or, or attitude is already of a certain predisposition, that might be an opportunity for bravado on your part, right? Right? Uh, or presumption on God's grace. You might look at these things and say, yeah, man, God's going to take care of me. This is all in God's hands. I'm protected. Nothing bad's going to happen to me, and I'm good to go, okay? But there's an important counterbalance that we see here in this text, although interestingly, it's not in the text itself. Interestingly, it's in how Jesus responds to this text, Okay. You remember what we talked about a couple of weeks ago about how we, when we read a passage of scripture, if we're able, we try to find out what Jesus seems to say about it. Okay. And, and, and this passage, we can do that very thing in. So God is mighty to save and he is mighty to protect. That's what we're told. And we believe that, but that's not a reason for us to be presumptuous of his grace. So look at verse 11. It says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Okay? And so again, more of that same kind of language, right? God provides safety. He provides care. He literally sends his ministering angels to his people. And they protect us from, if if you notice the language, both from serious, life-threatening kind of things like, Lions and and poisonous snakes, right? And more annoying and mundane kind of things like striking your foot on a stone, right? Stumbling over a rock, okay? And the Bible is literally saying, man, God comes in and ministers in all kinds of ways to protect you from all kinds of dangers, right? Little things and big things. God has arrayed even the armies of heaven to watch over you, okay? But there's something else to this passage, right? This is what that is. As we read it, some of you who have been with us for a little while probably go, I know that line from somewhere. For he will command his angels concerning you. Where have I heard that recently? And the answer is, this is one of the passages that the devil quotes to Jesus when he is being tempted in the wilderness, okay? It's the passage where the devil says to Jesus, hey, why don't you stand on the pinnacle of the temple and jump off? 
Because you know what? God's not going to let you fall. Doesn't his word say that he will command his angels concerning you, that you won't even strike your foot on the stone, that he'll protect you from these things? So we can read a passage like this, this whole psalm, and it can embolden us to presumption on God. Right? I ain't worried because God's got this. Right? I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want. I can be reckless. I can be foolish. I can be unwise. Why? Because God's got me. Some people can do, uh, will take that, that stance on this passage. But we can make that mistake. But I think if we do, it's because we have not paid attention to the way Jesus would talk about this passage. God will protect me so I don't have to take any precautions. But maybe we should say the same thing that Jesus said when the devil tempted him with this line. And that is what? It is unwise to put the Lord your God to the test. Right? We can, we can trust in God rightly in times of danger, in times of pestilence, in times of plague. We can trust that he is good and will protect us from, from the dangers that are out there. And yet at the same time, that is not an excuse for us to put God to the test by presuming upon him and being unwise or foolish in our actions. All that to say, though, right, um, our confidence in God is, 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 we don't, we don't make foolish decisions because of our confidence in God, right? Actually, what a passage like this does is it says, hey, you know what? There are necessary risks that we have to take sometimes, right? There are right decisions that we have to make that bring danger along with them. The important things that we need to do, and we can't make them safe. Like there's always going to be an element of danger in it. And in those things, we can trust that God is watching over us and caring for us and protecting us from danger. But it's not something for us to use to take advantage of the grace of God. And so the reality is this, man, you will die one day. Every single one of us will die one day. And you'll die from something. I don't know what that something's going to be, but, but it's, it's going to be something. But I promise you, and I think this passage is suggesting, it won't be a single day before God intends it to be. All right? There will be nothing that catches God off guard. There will be no opportunity in which all of a sudden God says, oh, I didn't see that coming. I, 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 I dropped the ball and I let um, him be hurt in that situation. Trusting God is with a rightly sober attitude is exactly what we're supposed to be doing, his power and his plan. And I think we should say that, okay, because I think there's a reverse in these things. We tend in our modern era or postmodern or, or whatever we're in, they call it now, right? We tend to think first of, of the in-our-face principles, right? We would be more typically, uh, we would be likely to not trust God, to say, no, 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 God's, God's, yeah, generically he's, he's watching over us or whatever, but, but, but I don't know that he's like paying attention in my daily life. And so I've got to, I've got to do these things and I've got to make sure and keep myself safe and not take any of these chances or I'm going to end up on the bad side of this stuff. And the reality is, is no, the scriptures are telling us that God watches over his people and he cares for them. He protects them from these things. But notice something too, as we continue on through the passage, verse 14, notice the connection the psalmist makes between that protection that God gives us and our faithfulness to it. Okay, so in verse 14, it says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. 
I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Okay? So again, man, we believe in grace. Okay? We are grace people. Man, it's grace up and down all the way through. Okay? But grace is an idea about the fact that we don't earn anything. Okay? We don't earn anything from God. There's no way that we could ever stand before a holy God and say, hey, you owe me something, right? Um, that's an impossibility. We could never be in, God could never be in our debt, right? That's what, it, that's what the idea of grace means, right? The only thing that God owes us is, is, is judgment, is death and hell, right? He doesn't owe us anything. Everything he gives to us is grace. But, if we say, oh, well, cool, I believe in grace, so it really doesn't matter about my effort or my faithfulness, right? Because this is all just random. God's just like sort of slinging this grace out, and it's landing on people indiscriminately. And so it really doesn't matter what I do because I'm just going to be maybe a recipient of that grace or, or maybe not. If we think that way about how grace works, man, we are misunderstanding God's word, and we're ignoring sections like verses 14 through 16. Because it specifically uses the language. Why does God deliver this person from danger? Well, because of some random act of grace that he just bestows indiscriminately on whoever happens to be there. No. Why? It says, because that person holds fast to me in love. Why will God protect him? Because he knows his name. Why will God answer him? Because the person calls on the Lord for protection. Right? Holding fast to the Lord, knowing his name, calling on the Lord. Those are all pictures of intimacy and faithfulness to God and, and pictures of being in the midst of his will and trusting in him and knowing him. And so James tells us in, in the New Testament, right? He's talking about faith and he says, man, when we're asking something of God, if we're asking him, um, to protect us, to deliver us, to watch over us or something like that, right? If we ask in faith without doubting, then we can expect God to answer. But the one who doubts is like a person, uh, like a wave of the sea or a person driven by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Right? That's what we're told in, in, in the New Testament. So we recognize that, you know what? We don't deserve anything that God gives us. And yet there's an expectation there of our faithfulness and our living in closeness to our God. And so again, this is not a generic protection, right? This is not a generic protection for everybody who's out there. God is not promising that he's going to protect everybody this way. In fact, we just read that, right? A thousand fell at one side and a hundred fell at the other. Those people didn't have God's protection in the same way that day, right? That's not what we're talking about. But that the, the protection is for those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, who trust in the Lord as their refuge and as their fortress. So kind of to close this up, right? We, we go back to that title from the Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot book, The Shadow of the Almighty, right? And it's weird that she is referencing, she calls her book, referencing a passage of scripture that we just read that talks about God's protection for those who trust in him alone and who are living in the middle of his will, right? And then what is her book about? It's, it's a book about how her husband and his missionary friends did what God wanted them to do and ended up dying for it. And I think many in the world 
Maybe some in the church would say that is a contradiction, right? You can't have it both ways, Bible. Um, God can't protect you on one side and then also um, call you to sacrifice on the other side. I think it's because, I think Elizabeth Elliot, she named, she, she, she wrote the book and she gave it that title because she realized that those men's death were not accidents. That God was not asleep or absent on that fateful day, but that God's shadow was resting on even them. And as they trusted in him and laid down their lives for their, for the mission that they had been called to, that ultimately they received the promises of this passage, specifically the promises that we see in verse 16. Because what does it say? It closes out the passage with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Okay. And you might say, well, they didn't get long life, Ash. They died as young men on that beach. And the answer is, you're right. They didn't get long life. They got eternal life. All right. They were welcomed into God's presence and received a, the promises of this passage to an extent that we cannot understand. Okay. And so what I'm saying is I'm not saying we should see this only spiritually. I'm not saying that we should read this passage and go, yeah, yeah, God protects us. Not really though, only in the way of, of eternal safety or whatever. But here on earth, we got to make it happen on our own. No, it's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there is a fulfillment on both sides is that God does watch over his people. God does protect us. And yet there, there's a fulfillment to be safely in the will of God to have the confidence and the joy that can only come from giving our lives totally to Christ and being this in the center of that will, that that is also true. So the question for us is this, do you know God in that way? Do you live your life in such a way that you sit in the proverbial eye of that storm? That place of, of faith and hope in Jesus as your refuge and your fortress. So that no matter the circumstances of life that you're subjected to, no matter what the world or the devil throws at you, we trust in the power and protection of God. And we stand in the shadow of the Almighty. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as as we read your word, um, we want to be... Um, faithful people first. God, we want to be wise people when it comes to these things. God, we want to live every day of our lives in a way that brings honor and glory to you till we live up to the responsibilities and the calling that you have given us. God, but also we want to do that in a wise way. We don't want to do that in a, in a, in a, cavalier way, a, a way that presumes upon your grace. We don't want to be people who jump off um, the pinnacle of the temple expecting your angels to catch us on the way down. Father, we, we want to be faithful and we want to be wise. So we ask that you would help us to do that, God, that you would speak to us in your spirit and that, that we would know in each situation that we're in the best way to proceed. Um, God, we know that, man, every, every situation is different. All of our lives are different. We all are called to different things. We all have different people we interact with. We all have different responsibilities. 
God, we ask for your wisdom in these things, but God, that in everything that you would draw us close to yourself, God, that we would feel your presence, feel your protection, feel the way you are providing for us each and every day of our lives, knowing that we can trust you and that God, we can wisely risk for you, that when you have called us to something, that we can do it without fear because we know that we are in your will. God, we thank you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for, um, God, your word, and we ask that you continue to uh, conform us to your image and make us more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song.
Thank you guys for joining us today. Um, it was good to see you. Um, thanks everybody at, at home who is who is with us. Um, uh, also wanted special thanks to Caden Buchanan back there. Um, we needed somebody to come in and do sound booth today, and man, Caden said, uh, "I'll jump in there and I know how to work that thing." And so, so we appreciate it. Good job, Caden. Man, everything went off without a hitch. And so, um, he's one of the youth at Pleasant Grove. And how old are you, Caden? Fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah. Um, serving, and that's awesome. So thank you again. Um, here's a benediction as you go. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.